Welcome to another episode of the Underground Bunker Podcast. Once again, I have the amazing apostate Alex, Alex Barnes-Ross. Thanks for coming back, man. Thanks for having me. Merry Christmas. I hope you're having a good holiday season and everyone listening is uh, prepared for the festive season. Uh, Our Sixmas, some of us call it. But yes, uh, Merry Christmas. Um, What I wanted to talk (laughs) to you about this week is you and I have uh, had some fun recently. Um audio of david scientology leader david miscavige's big speech he made at the ias gala and now audio of his new year's eve speech which scientologists themselves haven't even heard yet got into our hands you posted the audio i posted the transcript and i don't know it's been a few years since we've had this close an eye on exactly what david miscavige is telling the troops and it's also a big time because this is when he has resurrected the IAS gala in England and the New Year's event in Los Angeles. So it's kind of a turning point for them. But we've got every word, just about every word he said at both events for hours. And, um, you know, I, I've been seeing a lot of really interesting reactions. But I thought, you know, you and I could go over some of the points in there, uh, some of the things that surprised you. Um Let's start with ideal orgs, because that's such a big deal to him. Um, You know, the ideal org started 20 years ago now. In 2003, I think the first three open were Buffalo, New York, Tampa, Florida, and Johannesburg, South Africa. And at that point, Mike Rinder had told me that they had to be replaced for one reason or another. In Buffalo, because they had an eminent domain thing, Buffalo wanted to turn it into a parking lot or something. Uh, in Tampa, the thing place was just so run down, it was embarrassing. And in Johannesburg, it was in such a bad shape and such a bad neighborhood, some staffers had been killed, like really bad crime neighborhood. So they had to replace all three. And then Miscavige is like, well, as long as we're replacing them, let's make them ideal. And he started this program to replace every regular org around the world. And they're up to 68 now. I know he said 72 in his speech, but I think he's counting some advanced orgs. 68 regular ideal orgs around the country. The last he opened was in February 2020, just before the pandemic started, in Ventura, California. And now, he at the beginning of this year, 2023, he said he was going to open four in the first quarter. That didn't happen. Now he is, he says he is going to open them in January and February, and I think he will. And he revealed that they are Paris, France, Austin, Texas, Chicago, Illinois, and Mexico City. And this will be the second one in Mexico City. I believe they already have another one. Tell me what you think about him opening four ideal orgs in the beginning of 2024 and in those locations in in particular. Do you have Mm -hmm. any thoughts about that, Alex? Yeah, I think firstly, before we get into it too much, I wanted to give a shout out to the people that have enabled this to happen because, you know, without with the IES event, I sent someone into an org to go and record the IES event and, you know, they were completely up for it and, you know, were happy to oblige. And so firstly, thank you to that person who I'm going to keep anonymous for now, but, um, you know, we wouldn't have that audio without that other person. So thank you for that person. And also to Chris Shelton, because, you know, he was the one that gave us the audio from the new year's event that um, someone had sent him. So thanks to Chris, because I think it's really important because like you say, there hasn't been a full event 
um, video or audio leak for years. And I think it's really timely because, like you say, these two events are really important in the world of Scientology. There was a lot riding on the IES event, and I think there was a, a lot of... Um, Dave Miscavige has to prove a lot, I think, to Scientologists because he's been kind of silent for a while and he's made a couple of promises about, like you say, opening orgs at the beginning of this year that haven't materialized. The pressure is mounting internally. And I think being able to actually hear the audio itself, hear his own words, um, gives us a really unique insight, like you say, that we wouldn't have otherwise just from reading reports and the PR, like press release and that sort of thing. So fascinating. And on the ideal orgs, yeah, I think, like I said, the pressure is on because he said Chicago and these other orgs would open at the beginning of this year and they didn't. So I think a lot of people in Scientology are probably thinking what happened, you know, why why haven't they happened as much as there wouldn't be too much you know pressure in terms of people won't get angry or annoyed it will be in the back of people's minds when they're sat there at the new year's event at the shrine auditorium they'll be thinking hmm you know why aren't we hearing about the opening of the orgs that last time we heard dave, heard dave miscavige speak he told us was going to happen so he had to be very careful with the words he chose i think and it was just all fluff, really, in my opinion. It was, you know, just more of the same. Nothing, you know, spectacular was said. But I think if he doesn't actually open these orgs in January or February, it's going to be a problem. And it's all a problem of his own creation. He could have just not announced it, <laughs> you know, back in January of last year. And he could have just not brought it up in this event. And no one would even know. So he's made the situation worse for himself. But without that information, what is there to say? He needs some sort of news. So I get it. Um, but I think it's interesting that the focus was Chicago in the last New Year's event. And now it's Paris, even though Chicago is in the list. Um, I totally think that Paris will happen, whether or not... Um, they have the staff you know there's a minimum number of staff and there's certain requirements for ideologues to you know meet before they can open and that's one of the things that held back Chicago because they didn't have the staff to open as ideal um, I get the sense that Paris will open regardless um, I saw a post on a an internal Facebook group earlier today that Scientologists is for just Scientologists um, and there's lots of pictures going up every day of French staff members training at St Hill and building up the hype and you know um, the post today said that they are only 18 staff short of the full um, requirement to open as ideal and they are very much saying it is opening in January um, so it'll be interesting you know it's a huge building it used to be the Samsung headquarters um, in Saint-Denis and the locals were not happy about it when they purchased the building um, it was done in the same way Scientology infiltrated Clearwater. They set up an American company called Buildings Investments Group, and they then purchased the building for 33 million euros. The French government were on it. They knew that it was Scientology somehow, and the local authorities and locals tried to put a stop to the purchase, the sale of the building, um, and have been back and forth trying to stop it happening. But for whatever reason, they've not been able to. Um, they are not wanted in that area. The local government issued a statement that said, you are not welcome here. You are not wanted in this community. 
Um, so there's a lot of pressure on them, but regardless, they're just going to carry on. It's it's definitely going to happen. It's a lovely looking building. Um, it cost a lot of money, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if when they open, it's just empty because there aren't that many Scientologists in France, let alone Paris. Well, and Stephanie Hutchinson wrote a really nice piece for your website about the sort of history of Scientology in France. And she went over some of those uh, issues about the the purchasing of the building and one of the things I'm glad was in that article is they showed some maps. You posted some maps with her article, which show the proximity of this facility to the Olympic Stadium. And you know Scientology thought about that for years because um, they love the idea of showing up at the Super Bowl, showing up at the Olympics, handing out literature and that kind of thing. Um, as far as it being empty, though, you know, Rod Keller once did a really nice piece for me where he talked about the cycle of an ideal org. That yeah, they have to have they tell they say that they have to have this huge staff to open. And then for the first year, they have to win the birthday game, right? They have to do everything they can. It'll be tough for this year because you'll have four of them all competing for it. But they put a huge amount of effort. Then after the birthday game the following year then it empties out and just goes to nothing. And I mean, you know, you can see it. There are ideal orgs in this country that have like staffs of two or three. There's nobody going into those places. Yeah. And another thing, um, well, also the other thing I want to point out is Chicago in January? Is he nuts? Oh my God. Now, Austin, now we did see that they have taken out a permit for street closures on January 13th. So that definitely seems to be happening. Austin in January might be nice. I don't know. I don't spend too much time in Texas. I think it can be cold, though. But Jet Chicago in January or February? Oh, my goodness. That's just going to be a disaster. The same with Paris. You know, Paris in, and London have very similar weather. I have spent a lot of time in Paris with, you know, work and that sort of thing. It is cold in January. You know, it would be much better to hold back until April and it's much nicer um, and they still get to have the opening and, you know, be there for the Olympics and all of that. But, you know, I think that, like I said, the pressure is on to get them open. And even though it's going to be horrible weather, I think it's just going to have to happen. And I think Paris is going, we're going to hear a lot from Paris, I think, over the next year. That's why I'm focusing on that one particularly because, with the Olympics happening literally a stone's throw away from the Stade de France, which is the main stadium for the Olympics, um, they are going to use that as a PR activity. As we all know, they did it in London for the Olympics. Um, they did it, you know, like say the Super Bowl. They're, they're going to have huge funding to open the ideal org and do the non-e campaign and do adverts and all this sort of stuff. I think they'll probably chuck a load of extra money for the truth about drugs and human rights campaigns to promote them at the Olympics just around the corner. I think they are going to put a lot of effort into establishing Paris as an org. Um and especially considering they are considered a sect, they are considered a cult, they are not recognized in France, they've had a lot of opposition there for decades. Any sort of recognition they can get or approval, if even if it's just, you know, the French authorities giving up and being like, OK, whatever, you can give out your booklets at the Olympics. Something as simple as that, I think, will be seen as a major win for Scientology in France. So I think this year coming is going to be huge for that org in particular. And it shows 
they've spent loads more money on that building than most if not all other ideologues that i know of 33 million euros for effectively a very brand new building that used to be the samsung headquarters it's a huge office building it's a big glass kind of you know skyscraper business looking it it, i think there's more to this story and i think we're going to see more from it over the following following year um but like i said there's only the government reckons there's only about two thousand scientologists in the whole of france even though scientology say there are whatever 100 200 000, you know it's going to be dreaming empty. To once say this that there's is 2, over the there's 200 yeah <laughs> well once the promo is over once the olympics is out of the way you know miscavige is going to send sea org members from the int base to come and be there and personally handle the olympic like there will be a big flurry of activity but i think yeah you're right after the first year it'll very quickly empty out and uh, there won't be any public well look i mean they have been descending on the super bowl every year with their pamphlets and person people that show up to give interviews and then the big ad for 10 years and they basically have nothing to show for it so you know again we will see a like you're saying we're going to see a big effort at the olympics but what is it going to do i mean it's not like people in france want to join scientology yeah, exactly. And they'll use anything they can. You know, they hired when the London Olympics happened, 2012, they hired a big red London bus and they did a tour through the city and gave out Truth About Drugs booklets. You know, that was all run by Mark Pynchon, the director of special affairs at London, who I knew very well. He's the one that got me to join staff in the first place. And I was meant to work with him very closely. And he was a volunteer at the Olympics and he would go and talk at events about how he volunteered. And, you know, he's a Scientologist and it's all great. You know, it was was huge and they publish publicize these pictures of look at the truth about drugs campaign in association with the olympics you know it's completely separate the olympics have nothing to do with scientology but they try and use that and capitalize on it as a marketing opportunity and i think we'll see that in france as well well one of the things that came up in his speech and again it it's it refers to the staffing of these orgs is that he made a special point about this new golden age of admin and the real difference it's going to make that these Sea Org members have been trained in this new golden age of admin, which is basically, you know, L. Ron Hubbard's myriad of rules about how to run an organization or a business. And that now that now that they've got these executives trained properly, they're going to fire back to their orgs. And he listed a number of them. There was, I think London was one of them. Yep. Uh, Tampa. Um, I, I can't remember the whole list. But And then obviously the ones at the new ones, Paris and Austin and uh, Chicago. And, you know, to me, and, and of course, that you could hear in the audio you posted, you could hear the audience just going, oh, my God, this is incredible. We're going to have these admin trained executives. And I'm thinking... You know, the Ideal Org program is 20 years old. 20 years. None of them has produced the results that David Miscavige promises. But now you're going to send out some executives that have been star rated on L. Ron Hubbard policies and all scored 100%. And that's going to bring in the crowds? I mean, you were in. Does that work for a Scientologist to hear something like that? 
Yeah, I think, again, this is another example of David Miscavige shooting himself in the foot without even realizing it. We had the golden age of knowledge. Wow, amazing. We had the golden age of tech. Wow, amazing. Then golden age of tech too. And now the golden age of admin, right? In a few years time, there's no more golden ages that can happen, right? Because he's already said he found this lost tech and they've redone it. And, you know, they found out they've corrected issues and they're like, this is what LRH really wants. They've done that with the tech, with the admin, with the books. There is nothing else that he can come up with that will reinvigorate everyone because he can't come out in a few years time and go, I know I said that we found it and we changed, but actually we were wrong. You know, he that just won't fly. So it's great in the short term, but long term, he's shooting himself in the foot because how is he going to create that enthusiasm again in five, 10 years time? Um, your question about what it's like inside, you know, I was on staff with the golden age of tech too, when that came out and it was huge. It was I remember the feeling in the room at, you know, at London Old Chapel when we were watching the event. It was like, wow, I'm a part of history here. This is huge. Like, it was really special. You know, all of the, the tech staff had been at FLAG for a long period of time training on this program. And you've got to remember, it's kept entirely confidential. They didn't even know what the program was they didn't know what it was called you know we had the new e-meter come out but they didn't use that new e-meter when they were training at flag they came back and actually said they were using the old e-meter but with the new technology inside it so they could tell something was up because it was behaving a bit differently to normal uh, but they didn't knew, know that there was going to be a new e-meter they didn't know it was called the golden age of tech 2 they just knew it was this like new program so that confidentiality is huge. And it's been the same with the golden age of admin. You know, we've been talking about this program for a long time. And there's a lot of information out there on your blog, Mike Rinder's blog and on YouTube and such. But for a Scientologist, this is the first time they have heard the words golden age of admin. Now, people internally that I've spoken to and from posts I've seen on these groups on Facebook, They've all known something has been going on. They've been referring to it as an evolution. And they kind of probably guessed that it was a golden age of admin because there was a golden age of knowledge and golden age of tech. But again, they didn't know. They just knew that something exciting was happening. So all of these staff, not just Sea Org members, staff at Class 5 Orgs have all been at flag training and they're going to come back and you know deliver this new stuff. For a Scientologist inside, it's going to be hugely exciting right now because this is the last golden age of knowledge. This is the last evolution of stuff that David Miscavige has done. He's restoring the tech. He's found this new stuff. And finally, now we are going to have 100% pure LRH in the orgs so nothing is going to get in our way for expansion like there are no more roadblocks like finally this is it that's the sentiment that i think is going to be heard and felt in every scientology org right now off the base of the golden age of admin i mean it's just incredible that they've already opened 68 of these things which cost something like 20 to 25 million on average i think the paris ones like you said is a little more expensive but 20 to 25 million for 68 of them. I mean, it's a couple of billion dollars over 20 years. And now they're saying, oh, wait, now we figured out what's going to make them work. 
I, I don't know. I would. It's just amazing to me that he can sell that to these people, and they don't go. Well, wait a minute. What about all that? Those thousands of dollars I gave you fifteen years ago. Well, I think that? think of it this way, right? I don't understand how the old timers who were there for the original David Miscavige changing all the tech and then the golden age of knowledge, golden age of tech, like for those people, I'm like, how can you not be tired of this? Because if it was me, I imagine I'd be like, oh yeah, here we go again. There's another golden age. Yeah, whatever. And kind of lose the enthusiasm. But for those people, they've been in Scientology a long time and there's probably a lot of sunk cost fallacy. They've invested a lot of my money and time into this thing. It's their whole life. So I think there's probably an element of just going along with it because, you know, it's too traumatic to really face what the reality is and kind of keeping your head in the sand about it. But I think for the newer, younger staff, you know, like London, for example, for us, e even though the Golden Age of Tech 2 was a new thing and, you know, we we're all alive for Golden Age of Knowledge, Golden Age of Tech, like this is still a new thing. Like most of the staff at London were not alive when LRH was alive. So all they've known is David Miscavige and these Golden Ages. So it's still quite an exciting, new, thrilling thing. They haven't had decades of stuff changing and happening all the time. So. I get how they can still be excited, but I think that it is a really big problem that they've just not foreseen because what is he going to do? What is he going to pull out of the hat in 10 years time when the golden age of admin hype has got to die down and the orgs are still empty? You know, he has right, nothing well, I left. A prediction. I have a prediction. I know. I OT know nine and 10. You, you guys will say, well, that, but you'll you'll say that uh, it's covered under Golden Age of Tech. But my prediction for the next one is Golden Age of OT. Well, and that include you say nine that. and ten. Interesting, you say that. I think there's already assembling of that happening because if you look at the service completions for London Org, I I haven't looked at the other orgs because I just looked up the names that I remember people being on staff from about. 2013 2014 through to present time all of the staff have gone from pure fsrd very like lower level on the bridge to like ot3 ot5 right in a very short period of time all of the not just some all of the staff have suddenly gone to ot level and i reckon that there is a, a start of a program going on where they're trying to get all of the staff in all of the orgs to OT. And I think that I thought originally it was part of the golden age of admin, but it's not because it hasn't been mentioned. Um, there is a program in place right now to get the staff. And to I, have, OT. I, have and I think that's, you're right. I, I think I they're going to say that that's holding people back that they're not OT. I have two reactions to that one. They have nothing to do. There's nobody <laughs> coming in the door. There's nobody to train. There's nobody to do courses. So they have time to do their OT levels. That's one. The other one is, though, I think Mike has done a lot about how they've got this magical number of uh, OTs on solo knots. If you can get 10,000 of them, you take over the world or something like that. So I think it might have something to do with that. There's a push. But I think you're right. I think there's something going on we'd maybe not have heard the whole thing about. I, I remember about uh, six years ago, when Leah's show got its second season, which was a, I remember when, when it was announced her show came on, there didn't seem to be much reaction from Miscavige, but the day they announced there was going to be a second season, 
it was like overnight Scientology went nuts. All those awful websites we see now about Leah all came out like that week. And what I noticed was all of a sudden, Kirstie Alley, Marisol Nichols, Nancy Cartwright, uh, Kelly Preston, all very visibly finished OT7 and OT8. And I thought, okay, there's a program there. Dave, Dave has told the uh, celebrities you got to show me you're on the right team or something like that, you know? So I wondered about that back then, but now, like you're saying, even the lowly staff are going OT. Maybe there is some kind of program there. That's interesting. And I think you've got to remember, David Miscavige plays the long game, right? With Scientology plays the long game in everything that it does. And starting this program now is very smart because, Golden Age of Admins coming out, the hype around that, fantastic. But like I say, in a few years time, you know, Golden Age of Tech 2 was 2013, 2014. So that's 10 years ago. Right. So in 10 years time, that's about when everyone has lost their excitement and there needs to be something new. And 10 years is plenty of time to do a program that gets all of the staff around the world to OT, um, however he wants to do it. And I think by starting that now, he can build up the hype over the next few years of like, oh, there's something going on. You know, all of the staff are going to flag and all the staff are going to St. Neil and people will get a sense that there's something happening because people are moving around and they're being OT and all of this. And then it gives a little bit of time as well for a bit of a push marketing and promotion wise so that they can come up with some amazing stats about how the org has boomed. Um, and I think, yeah, he's preparing the next evolution. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's OT that's really smart. Golden age of OT. I'm glad I guessed that. I'm glad, uh, you know, you made me uh, think maybe that I might be onto something. That's cool. Yeah. Um, I wanted to share with you as well some some stats that I think you'll find interesting. Um, so just because we're on the Ideal Org program, um, when I was on staff at London Org, right, we were booming, right? The birthday game event was, we. I think we won the birthday game. Um, I left just before it happened. But, you know, Dave Miscavige sent Rachel Hastings and a film crew from Gold to come to London to film me and the team and like how we're doing really well at book selling. And, you know, it was a huge, huge thing. You know, we were selling like 2000 books a year on the year, the first year I started on staff. I don't have the stats from the second year but it was more um i've actually still got the graph <laughs> to show you the weekly sales but in on average you know 2000 books in the year um so one of the staff members at london or posted on facebook um something about the stats from london last year um and i thought it'd just be interesting to to compare because what did he say he said that in 2022 3500 people walked in to london org and they sold 800 books to raw public in a year. So that means since I was on staff nine years ago, uh, it's been a 62% decrease in book sales. And I don't have the stats for walk-ins, walk people walking in, but it was more than that. Um, they're averaging 10 people a day walking in and two books sold, right? That's a dire picture for London Org. And well, it shows and that's, massive that's a, contraction. That's an org that's in a place with foot traffic. What's what's amazing to me is some of the newer orgs that they've opened in the last uh, 10 years, they're getting away from that. Nobody's going to be walking by the Ventura org. Nobody's <laughs> going to be walking by the Austin. I mean, the Austin, they will because that's the college. I'm sorry. But, you know, some of these others are, they, you know, they the one in Perth, Australia, they put in a business park. 
Nobody's it's a warehouse. Nobody's going to be walking by there. So those numbers don't sound very big, but that's in a prime location with fantastic walking traffic, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Tottenham Court Road is is a really big touristy destination, but it just shows that even if they do have good foot traffic, they're struggling. You know, if you look at, for example, um, uh, Copenhagen, right, Denmark, you know, when they opened the Augur's ideal in 2017, the Scientology released a press statement saying, you know, 75,000 people walk past the doors of the org every single day. And if you look at the stats from this Facebook post that I found that, you know, it works out that 0.08% of the foot traffic of the people that walk past the doors every day go into the org right they are even if there's high foot traffic they're not able to get people through the doors because i think it's widely known now that scientology is a is a harmful dangerous movement is a cult that hurts people it's it's a much harder task to convince people that this you know technology is going to help you and you should come in and you know i think by moving away from city centers they get bigger, more lavish buildings. It doesn't help them with the foot traffic. But I think it's also an admission that foot traffic is not how they're going to get new people in anymore. Um, it's not going to work. So therefore, it doesn't really matter where the orgs are located. But Paris is another example. It's in a business district. You know, just before Scientology purchased the building, the owners spent, I can't remember the number, but a couple of million euros refurbishing the building to bring it up to date as an office building because they wanted to attract a new office um, company, you know, office buyer. And then Scientology bought it and they just undid all of that refurbishment work that they've just been spent a load of money doing. Um, it's in an office district. It doesn't have foot traffic. And I think that that just shows that goal is not to get people in. The goal is to win over the existing Scientology parishioners and show them how great Scientology is and it's expanding and, and also really reaffirm their place in society and kind of really dig their feet in to the, the community because they've got these huge buildings that aren't going to go anywhere. Well, and specifically the wealthy ones, the donors, that's who he's trying to convince yeah. that Scientology is going well, is that, yes, they still want people to sign up for courses at the local org and eventually go to flag and do all the expensive stuff. That's how they make a lot of their money. But as Mark Headley was explaining to me, he said, look, you know, Flag was bringing in up to $2 million a week. It's $100 million a year. And at some point, Dave realized, yeah, but I can get 10 rich guys to give me $10 million each. We don't have to do any work. Yeah. And that clearly has become more of the emphasis in recent years. Well, how do you con how do you convince Tom Cummins, Jim Bridgeforth, Trisha Duggan, uh, you know, how do you convince these people to keep giving more money is you have to show them new buildings. Mm -hmm. And say, look, we're expanding like crazy. That's that's what this is all about. I know, I know there are people that will try to convince us. No, it's like, like for example, one thing people always say to me is, well, they have to spend money or they'll lose their tax exemption. Hey, the Catholic Church is closing dioceses all over the country. Nobody's talking about them losing their tax exemption. That's not how it works. They mm -hmm. it, they are buying these buildings simply to impress wealthy people. Yeah, they end up with real estate. But it doesn't always make sense. Some of these things they're buying are going to be really hard to sell again. Some other someday later, they're and very also, specific buildings for specific uses. 
yeah, look at the stats as well that Scientology are presenting at these events. You know, even when I was on staff, right, I remember the focus in these events being we helped this number of people. We got this number of people in. And I know we haven't had a birthday game event just yet, um, you know, in recent times. But even at the IS event and the New Year's event, there'd be talk about numbers to do with people. If you listen to the two events that we've just um, that we've just um, published, it's not about the people. The stats that they're presenting are, we gave out this number of booklets. We've expanded. We're opening this number of square foot of new property. We did this. It's all numbers to do with output and numbers to do with physical size, not people. Now, and there I think was one the reason... exception, Alex, and I didn't want to ask you about this. Because you're absolutely right. They were talking about the number of materials they gave out or the number yeah. of offices they sanitized and all that. And garbage. that's because the donors have paid money for that. So that's paid impressing exactly. them. Yeah. The one exception was near the end of the New Year's event, the recognition of the FSMs. And I have to say to, you know, without any fact checking, of course, the number sounded pretty impressive that this many thousand FSMs have brought in this many hundred thousand of people into the bridge. And I'm just like thinking, I don't know. We just don't see those people. We don't see that kind of activity. What do you think about those statistics? Cause that was about people and not about objects. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that just shows the focus, right? So the numbers they're presenting to wow people is booklets and square footage, which is to impress the big donors and the FSM numbers is to impress the parishioners, right? And that's it's a different marketing tact. Um, again, I have a feeling that there's been some program or something in the FSM field um, for a few years in Scientology. And I think that there's more to come from that. And I think the fact that he mentioned it at the New Year's event is, is evidence of that. Um, in these Facebook groups with these posts that are coming through that, are, again, it's just for Scientologists and uh, they have no idea that, um, you know, I have access to some of these posts and I'm seeing some of these things. Um, there is a big push for people to become FSMs and help recruit people. And it's interesting because the FSM program used to be huge. And then, you know, we all know the story about how it kind of got shut down a little bit because people were taking too much money. And there was a SEAL member that bought a, was it a Ferrari or a Dodge or a Corvette or something I was hearing on one of your podcasts the other day. Um, and so it kind of got pushed down and I get the sense that it's being revitalized. And I think a part of that is probably to do with the, giving people something to do and that can help in the expansion, giving them, you know, rather than just being at the mercy of, you know, David Miscavige, it's like, no, cool. It's your duty to bring people into Scientology and you can make some money from it too. Um, there's these power FSMs and these power FSM summits that are happening very regularly now where people are being encouraged to go out in the field and recruit new people um, and you get your 10 or 15% commission off it. I think that, again, there's an underground, deeper level program or something that's going on that's trying to encourage people to do that. Um, you know, Elena Cardone, Grant Cardone's wife, is giving a speech at the flag or um, at flag in January, I think it is, um, about being a power of center, about how to recruit people and get people in. And I think 
that's one of the ways that he's trying to sell to these big donors. It's not just about money. You know, I want you to do something to promote Scientology as well, um, rather than just donate money. Because a poor Scientologist is going to be rather drained right now having just been regged for a load of cash at the is event regged for loads of money at the new year's event you know you've got the birthday game coming up and they're they're going to be quite you know i imagine tired (laughs) of giving money over it's definitely fundraising season in scientology so having something like the fsm program is like hey cool this is another way you can help that's not going to cost you money and actually you can earn a bit of money from it too and i think it kind of it reignites that flame a little bit. So it's smart. It's a smart move. It's, it's interesting if he's going back to that, because what we saw was that um, under Hubbard, there was definitely a franchise system. And you could open your own center, your own small mission. You could make quite a bit of money introducing people to Scientology and moving them onto the org. And then Miscavige just decimated that whole system. And what was interesting to me about his ideal org program was that with all these, the, the number one thing about the ideal orgs to me that he, that he was interested in were these video displays that explained Scientology. And what that said to me was that David Miscavige no longer trusted Scientologists to sell Scientology. He wanted these films he made to do it. Mm. And that was a total failure. And so maybe he's re- realized that now that if he's going to get any kind of recruitment at all, He's got to go back to the human touch. He's got to go back to the FSM. And I think that happened a while ago. I mean, we haven't spoken about this, but, you know, when I was on staff, um, I was in Div 6. My job was to recruit people and to sell books. And from what I hear people talking about the way the films were used, it just doesn't match up with my experience on staff. You know, when I was being trained and when I was getting people in, taking them on tours around the info center, it was very much these videos and stuff were a tool. You know, you can use them to enlighten people. Um, but ultimately, you're the salesperson. You're the one that needs to find the ruin and sell the book or the course or get them to do a personality test. Like, the video was a part of the process, part of the journey, but it wasn't integral. You know, people would come in and I would take them on tours around the information center and not play them any videos, right? And just show them the different display panels. But the whole point was get them in a conversation, ask them questions, find their ruin, and then sell them the book or give them an OCA test. It was very much use it to help you do what you need to do as a reg. And that's what it was like. It might have been different in, in other orgs. But for us at London, that's how we did it. And I think that that's maybe the change that you were talking about that's happened over time. And we're now at a place where he's probably doing that again. Think about it. He 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 crushed the FSM system because people were making too much money and he wasn't making any money. Well, now he's got the money problem sorted with these big donors giving money for the ideal all program. Well, it's not a risk anymore. And actually, you know, getting these people to do the promo, the promotion and stuff will help him. Um, it's not a financial risk. So why not bring it back? Um, I think it's smart. And I think that it links to the OT thing. You know, if you go OT and you become an FSM, it's your duty as a Scientologist to recruit people i'll handle the money i'll handle the buildings now we've got these amazing ideal orgs all over the world and they've all opened and we've got all these staff they're all ot and they're all admin trained now it's over to you as a parishioner to fill them up with people you know i think that's the sentiment that's just a guess but 
that's what I imagine is happening. Well, we've now seen at the IAS speech and the New Year's speech, Dave talking about all the successes of CCHR, the successes of the volunteer ministers, the successes of Narconon, the expansion they've got, these four new ideal orgs, plus a continental Narconon in Africa, and uh, you know, new AO they're working on in Mexico City. All it, you know, if you just listen to Dave, things are great. But you and I know if we look particularly Mike, Mike's particularly good at his blog at recording actual, you know, uh, evidence from the things that people are saying inside that suggest they're struggling, they can't staff people, they 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 they're having a hard time putting things together. And of course, anecdotally, we hear about these orgs being empty. So I'm not convinced based on what David Miscavige is saying that Scientology is doing so well. But what evidence would you need? Alex, to convince you that maybe Dave has turned a corner and maybe Scientology is starting to do better based on what he's saying. Do you mean as a Scientologist when I was on staff? No, no, now. What, what, would, what would convince I, you that they're doing what he's saying? I don't think it's possible to convince me of that because that's not the truth. You know, David Miscavige is not, he hasn't turned a corner and created this new era of expansion. In fact, I think it's a new era of contraction. You know, Scientology is um, shrinking at a rate of knots. And, you know, the stats, like I just said about London, or 62% decrease in book sales over, you know, nine years, it shows, a it paints a very dire picture for Scientology. And, for a critic now, I think it, it there needs to be a lot to show that Scientology is expanding, you know, and all it would take is some real stats, you know, David Miscavige to come out and say, you know, we've sold this number of books at this, this org and that number to be higher than the last number we got from that org. You know, the census data, 2021, um, the census showed a huge decrease in number of Scientologists here in the UK. Well, you know, in a few years time, we'll have the next census and that number is not going to lie. That number is a government statistic that's, you know, not associated with Scientology. If that number is higher, that evidence is that Scientology has grown. Like that's the data that would prove it has grown but this is all stuff that as a Scientologist you don't look at you know when I was in London Org yes I knew that the video was being faked because we had to get people in to like make it look busy and stuff but it was like yeah well we just want to inspire people and show like how cool it is here and you know take it with a pinch of salt but when the Org was empty and not doing so well we didn't think that the whole of Scientology was like that. We just thought it was just us, you know, all the other orgs are doing it well and we're just doing something wrong. So we need to up our game. That's the sentiment inside. So I don't think for a Scientologist, David Miscavige is under so much pressure to prove the expansion because they just genuinely believe this is an exciting time. And I think there's also the element of the internal focus of getting everyone to go OT, golden age of admin, training everybody. The focus at the moment actually might not be expansion of new Scientologists. It's all getting the current Scientologists to a place where they can really, really start expanding. Um, so I think that's where the head, like the the head of a sign, the mind of a Scientologist is right now. But that's just my guess based on how I think I would be feeling having been there. And uh, in the New Year's event, we got to hear at least the new Super Bowl ad, which seemed kind of quiet based uh, compared to pre previous years. But um, this will be 10 years now that they've been 
doing the Super Bowl ahead. I guess I guess this will be the eleventh actually, and um, you know I always have to point out to people. They they say, wow, it's like isn't it like six million dollars for a half thirty seconds? No, Scientology never buys a national ad. The way the Super Bowl is broadcast, there are a couple of local spots in that three and a half hours where the local station can sell an ad to a local car dealer. Everything else are those gigantic, you know, incredibly expensive national ads, but there are a couple of local spots. Scientology buys those. And they only buy them in certain cities. So that's why on the night of the Super Bowl, I always ask people on Twitter, let me know if you saw the ad or not. And then we can see, okay, it played in New York, it played in LA, it played in San Francisco, it played in Seattle, it played in Atlanta. Only certain cities get to see the ad. But, you know, it's it, people are still blown away. They can't believe they've seen a Scientology ad in the Super Bowl. And I have to say, you know, they spend a lot of money. They're well done. They're mystery sandwiches. I mean, they don't tell you a thing about what Scientology actually is. Had those started by the time before you left? Yeah, I remember. Do you remember seeing uh, one? yeah, I remember the uh, when they revealed the new e-meter, right? And it was around the time of the Golden Age Tech 2. I remember watching the New Year's event. I was at the in the chapel at London Org. And they're like, right, and now we're going to play the new Super Bowl ad. And for a British person, Super Bowl, whatever. We don't have Super Bowl here. We don't have American football. It's, we do a little bit, but like, it's not a thing for us. So that doesn't really have an appeal. But the more like this is an event and we've got an advert that was what was special about it right. and i will never forget there was an audible gasp in the room because it was the first time an e-meter was being shown in a public video public commercial and it was the new e-meter it looked really cool and space age and it was like wow we are for the first time being open about what Scientology really is. We're not hiding anything. We're not pretending. We are actually literally showing the e-meter in an advert. Like, wow, people are going to be blown away by this because we're just, we're being so honest about us, about ourselves. Like it was huge, right? And of course it never played on British TV because Scientology got in trouble last time they ran an advert on british tv because there it was an, an advert called our help is yours and it was all about the the fourth fourth dynamic campaigns you know truth about drugs and all of that and it got banned by the advertising uh, authorities here because they lied about the number of people that were being helped by their programs and they couldn't prove that they'd helped this number of million people or whatever um, and so the ad got banned because there's really strict rules in the uk about making claims in adverts and so since then i think they've only run a handful of adverts but mostly um on youtube like they are focusing their efforts on digital marketing which i think is smart anyway as a marketing person um but yeah i think that's what we're going to see more of is that shift towards online promotion and you know scientology are the biggest advertiser on my youtube channel uh, i get so many reports every single week of people saying you know a scientology ad came up before watching your video the other day like they don't realize that they are literally paying me to make content about them because they pay youtube to advertise and then i get a very very small percentage of that ad revenue uh, they're not the smartest of the bunch, but online, I think, is where it's going. And I think that this ad, again, it's it's, a, it's an example to reinvigorate Scientologists and go, wow, look, we're doing something here and it's cool. It's well produced and we're showing the world what we're all about. I think it's just another thing to yeah. get excited about. 
one other uh, number that came from the speech. Um, at one point, David Miscavige referred to 11 million people starting on the bridge in these last three years or something like that. And that, that to me was big because, you know, you can never pin them down on how many Scientologists there are in the world. They always refer to just millions. Um, at one point in 2012, they put out a TV ad that claimed there were 4 million new people joining Scientology every year. Incredible, incredible number. We know that they have nothing like that. It's probably more like 20 or 30,000 people. But I just thought it was interesting that he said 11 million. And you know how Scientology is. If anybody buys a book or takes a course, they're considered a Scientologist. So, you know, Scientology right there is claiming 11 million new people. I mean, you know, you'd think if there were 11 million new Scientologists in the last few years, you might bump into one once in a while. Well, I think also it's it's another example of how David Miscavige and Scientology don't just inflate their figures, but they outright lie about things. You know, if you look on the Scientology website where they were talking about the new Quoll building at St. Hill, they talk they they say how great this new 20,000 square foot building is. If you look at the planning documents, it's 12,000 square foot, right? Like literally their own planning application and the thing that was approved, 12,000 square foot, and yet the press release has almost doubled the, the real size. They are inflating that number, but they're also outright lying. You know, David Miscavige talks about getting religious recognition in Greece at the IES event. Well, it was only a couple of months ago that, you know, Greece issued a statement uh, about how worried they were that Scientology, which is a cult considered a sect in Greece, is trying to infiltrate society. And they, they're running through these front groups because they cannot have an organization called church of scientology and he's gone to the is event and said we got religious recognition in greece he talked about at the new year's event hungary and all the great work that they're doing there and expanding well it was only the other day that 11 Scientology executives were charged with a $1.7 million fraud case, having raided 30 Scientology buildings over a couple of years, 2017, I think it was, um, and you know seized 2,000 documents and fined them for data protection um, breaches. And now this fraud, like he is lying through his teeth. And, you know, it's not a surprise for us, but for Scientologists, they don't know that. They don't realize this is the case. So when they hear 11 million, they're like, wow, that's amazing. 11 million is more than that's higher than the population of London. So apparently there are more Scientologists than there are Londoners, you know. How can you possibly believe that? Well, because it's not us. We're small here, but, you know, other orgs are bigger. They're doing it better. So all the 11 million Scientologists, they must mostly be in America. If you go to America, there must be Scientologists everywhere. Well, in America, they're probably thinking, if you go to Europe, there must be everywhere. That's what they're thinking to justify yeah. Yeah. the fact that they're not seeing the reality of the numbers they're being told. Well, it's been fun putting out those... Uh those video audio and transcript i'm glad you and i got to do that can you give us some other updates on what you've been doing since the ias protest i think you've been keeping busy yeah absolutely and it's been so fun to work with you on this as well i think a point i just wanted to make very briefly is that you know collaboration is the way forward and i think you know a, a, a high tide raises all ships is a you know a really um important quote i think or statement if we work together, we work better and we achieve better things. And that's why I love working with you and Chris on this New Year's Eve event. It's like 
you know, we're all trying to do the same thing. We're all helping each other and look at the results. We had the audio transcript done on your, and we had the video and I think it's great. And it's just paving the way for like more stuff to come. Um, So thank you. And, you know, I'm loving doing this and I'm looking forward to like what 2024 will bring, um, especially considering the East Grinstead stuff. So I got some Freedom of Information Act requests um, back the other day, and I will be releasing them very soon. Uh, I'll give you a little bit of a scoop here because I haven't published them yet. I've got internal emails that went on between the council and the licensing department and the premises um, license stuff that I talked about before, um, and I'll be releasing them. But essentially, the road closure it's fascinating. I can now see what actually happened behind the scenes. So essentially, I applied for the road to be closed to do the protest. And then all panic ensued. And you know the story of like, it was cancelled, and then it wasn't, and then it was misinformation. Well, what actually happened was uh, Councillor Dick Sweatman, who is the biggest Scientology supporter there is in the local area, he goes to all of the events and so on. Um Councillor Dick Sweatman contacted the East Grinstead Council road closure department as soon as our road closure application was filed and asked on behalf of the Church of Scientology, how can the Church of Scientology apply to close the road themselves? And then the like the, the closure, the road closure people were like, um, well, they just need to apply. Like, firstly, why? Why are you asking that question? And secondly, why are you asking and not the Church of Scientology? Scientology right. has obviously gone to their contact in the council, who's then gone and done some digging. And they put in an application to close the same road on the same day at the same time with the intention of preventing us protesters from being able to be there um, on the day. And that caused some confusion because some people thought that the road closure that was granted was for the church. But in actual fact, it was me because I applied first and I got it approved. Anyway, back and forth emails. Fascinating to see what went on. Um, and then there's also, uh, if you look at the licensing thing, you know how I um, found out that their premises license required them to give six weeks notice of the event. Um, again, I've got all of those emails now. Uh, they went and did an inspection and they went to St. Hill and said, hey, you haven't given us the health and safety documents and procedures. You haven't given us notice what's going on. Janet Laveau, who is, I believe she's the commanding officer of OSA in the UK. She's the managing director of COSRECI, the UK Church of Scientology on paper. Um, she's the one that spoke to the licensing department and basically said, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, it's my first year doing this IES event thing. So I didn't know that we had to do that. I'm really sorry. And the licensing guys were like, well, Where's the, because you have to have what's called a DPS, a designated premises supervisor, who's the person responsible for the license. He wasn't there. He's not in, so they have to file a new DPS. What happened to him? Don't know. Maybe he's left the Sea Org or maybe he's been moved to a different city or country. But Janet was like, it's my first year. I didn't know. And so the council were like, okay, we'll cut you some slack. 
Just make sure you file it by the end of the day. Janet Laveau has been at St. Hill for like 20 years and she is the boss of the DPS, the guy who was you know, in charge of it before. She has been doing and running the IES event for years. She knows exactly what she's doing. But because it's the first time she personally has contacted the council, she used that as an excuse. Um, you know, and the emails back and forth just show the council were trying to cut some slack and said, oh, one minor breach was found. Uh, so we just wrote them an email and said, you know, don't do it again. And I'm just making the point that, you know, the breach of the license condition, um, which is not giving them the six weeks notice that they were supposed to, is in British law a major violation. It's considered a major crime that's punishable by a £20,000 fine and or six months imprisonment. So... Why have the council decided to be so favourable to Scientology in this instance? Well, it's because safe pointing is very much in full force. We know now that the mayor has gone to not just three, but nine Scientology events this year alone. And the like the um, the uh, infiltration goes much deeper than I originally thought. There are something like eight or nine councillors that I have uncovered have all gone to Scientology events this year and have had email communications with them and been very supportive. Scientology were running the East Grinstead gazebo, uh, the town council gazebo, the official Christmas night switch on event. Um, they are fully in bed with the council. The council is fully in bed with Scientology. It's, it's a worrying picture that's being painted and, um, you know, the pressure is mounting. I launched a, a petition the other day that's got uh, just under 800 signatures now um, trying to say to the council, stop um, supporting this group because it's just making them look bad from a PR perspective. There are many other groups that they can support in the local community that don't come with the PR headache uh, of Scientology. Why are they doing it? Um so, yeah, it's it's fascinating. But if anyone wants to sign the petition, change.org slash Scientology. That's a great URL. <laughs> I've right, got so I'll... many good URLs like that. I don't know how I managed it. Scientologybusiness.com. How do they not have that URL? Like, I honestly, I I don't know. But, yeah, it's, it's going to be an exciting year. 2024 has got a lot, I think, in store Um for us i think from a scientology perspective but also from some of the things going on behind the scenes and i'm excited to see what it what it will bring for us and i'm looking forward to continuing to work closely with you and um you know getting some stuff out there and um you know getting to know more of the community and seeing what's going to happen because i think it's you know a very tough time for scientology right now from a public relations perspective and um, the pressure well, is you, mounting. you've definitely been one of the highlights of 2023 and i think people are thrilled with the work you've been doing and i can't wait to see what happens this coming year thanks tony i appreciate it all right alex thank you very much man thank you Again, again.